Welcome to The Dealmaker Show, the number one place for entrepreneurs and dealmakers to learn about leveraging and generating status, frame control, and narrative power to close big deals. Here is your host, investment banker, deal-making expert, and best-selling author of Pitch Anything and Flip the Script, Mr. Oren Claff. Is I went through your backgrounds, I went through the company. Uh, this is a space that I would say I'm highly embedded in, you know, NFT, except I know nothing about it, except I'm doing I'm doing the finance on quite a, like you don't actually have to know the blockchain details in order to do the finance around it, because then the day it just boils down to revenue costs mm -hmm. income. But but uh I, I have some questions that I just I thought would kick it off. So the space around like NFT became super saturated very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, and it is also complex. So you guys are operating in sort of an environment that has one enormous positive, which it is sexy. It's in mm -hmm. popular culture. It's in the media every day, which is awesome because you just say NFT and people know what box you're in. But so you've got one huge positive and you have two negatives, which is it's saturated very quickly. You know, it can almost get an eye roll if you're talking to somebody new about it. And two, it's complex. So it's super hypey, which is great. Uh, it's just, um, it seems people are getting overwhelmed by the number of conversations about it. And it's complex. How do you pitch in this environment? Well, well, I'll start with the first that uh, your problem number one, I don't think it's saturated at all. I, you know, last year we had over maybe the total year of 2020, we might have had a little less than 100 million in sales and NFTs. The actual first NFT was created in 2014. And so over the last seven years, we've seen an evolution. And when CryptoKitties clogged up the entire Ethereum network, everyone thought NFTs were saturated. Right. But in five months, five months, we're over $3 billion in NFTs. We've had the largest sale of a living artist, $69 million by people. And we're just starting. You know, NBA Top Shot sold over almost $400 million of video clips. So I think that with any product that's good, you're going to have to separate the wheat from the shaft. And that's the reality is that you have to have an NFT that has a ability to do one of two things. The first thing is it has to have true value and that immediately cuts through noise. And the second thing, it has to take what you consider the second problem is the complexity, which I think is really the value and turn the complexity and make it accessible to everybody who steps in. And that's the beauty of anybody who steps in the space and wants to succeed going to the second half of the year. I believe without a doubt, next year we'll see a hundred billion dollar year for NFTs. And we'll still be saying, is it saturated? NFTs are very, very valuable uh, beyond what we're imagining. We're, we're at the toy level of it, but because of the complexity, there's some awesome things coming down the pipeline with NFTs. What I'd be jumping in there with is, so Noble does a great job of answering from that point of view. I'll, I'll be covering more from the technical side because I see that um, it's, while it looks like it's a flash in the pan, while it looks like NFTs are this hot new item that everybody just wants to get because they're sexy and cool like a fad. Well, guess what? This is the other things I said was a fad. 
TV was a fad. Telephone was a fad. Most of all, the internet was a fad. You know how the internet was just a fad and went away? Yeah, just like that. Then blockchain was a fad. Bitcoin was a freaking fad. It was never going to go anywhere. Nothing was going to happen. This is how people see things. And guess what? There's only two kinds of, of actually um, of, of these assets in this class of basically fungible and non-fungible. Really, that's what it boils down to. And so how long have people been wanting to have a digital fungible asset at least 40 plus years? And how long have they wanted a non-fungible digital asset? Probably about as long, maybe even longer. So when you're thinking, oh, this NFT thing, this craze that's happening, it's just come out of nowhere. Well, like Noble said, 2014, then 2017, with, at the end of 2017, with them cracking CryptoKitties. But really, decades and decades of innovation. It looks like it's this overnight success that's just happened in 2021. But since the 80s, they've been trying to crack the code, literally, on how to make a non-fungible, tradable digital asset, when the very hallmark of digital means it can be copied. How can you take something that can be so easily copied and make it so that it's unique, non-fungible, and tradable as a scarce asset? So would you agree that that would take a breakthrough? I think it would. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to Barnaby's podcast. Uh, <laughs> excellent. So I think that clearly answers to a lot of the people we work with. Like, I, I don't get it uh, completely. But, but let me ask this question to both of you guys. And then how is LeBron James dunking the ball on a random Wednesday afternoon at, uh, you know, some game in uh, uh, Houston, uh, you know, of a seven-part series of which there are going to be another 270 identical games that is not a championship, that is not a team rivalry, that isn't a record-breaking, uh, you know, game in any way, that isn't notable other than there's an NFT for sale on it, and then that NFT sells 250 times uh, and is increasing in value. So that, I think, of the people that I talk to is one of the most confusing concepts is this random moment in time of which is will be duplicated throughout the rest of LeBron James's career, which is not necessarily uh, some kind of marker in human history of any note. It's not a marker in sports history. It's not a marker in NBA history. It's not a marker in LeBron James's career history. Yet people are spending 150, 200, 250,000 dollars on it. Yet it's a marker in NFTs, or it's a marker in NFTs. So you, you hit the nail on the head. You're 100% right. So there is no marker. It may not be special, but it will always be the first time that an NFT was created for LeBron James and is locked on the blockchain. So it created its own value instantaneously the moment that was done. It's a funny thing. Uh, I'm a comic book collector, big fan. Nobody cares about the number one issue of Superman besides other comic book collectors. If you're a stamp collector, whatever. If you're a China collector, whatever. But yet the number one issue of Superman in mint condition has gone for millions. It's the same idea. But the beauty of it is no one can destroy it. No one can lose it. No one can hide it. Grandma can't cut it up. It can't get lost in a garage. Every NFT is stuck on the blockchain 
essentially ad infinitum, it's forever. And when you have a finite supply, you know, economics 101, 28 years I've been in investments, wrote seven books on trading. Finite supply, right now, unlimited demand. Millions of people want to collect these particular NFTs. There's a second intersection of that too, is there are a ton of new multi-multi-millionaires in the crypto world. And so with that intersection, people don't understand the pricing because they never this bought. This is my thesis. This is yeah. my thesis, okay? And you tell me how close I am. I go to, uh, oh, by the way, your comic book, I, I bought uh, Hulk 181, I think for the highest amount paid for a late 70s comic book, $42,000. So mm -hmm. I've got a safe here with a bunch of, uh, I mean, I don't have any three four hundred thousand dollar comic books but i got a good stack and you know when i was when i was a kid and this makes me so mad i collected sergeant rock comic books oh man and sergeant today rock. that is a really well-written um creatively uh compelling well-written i don't know when i was nine ten years old why i was buying sergeant rock but it was but today they're worthless but i got a couple giant boxes of them but of course avengers who to the mind of a 10 year old was a worse comic book at least to my mind is now worth a lot but anyway we, that's a debate for a different time here's my thesis i go to uh the car auction in phoenix every year um and uh, you know i'll sell a car and one of my cars is uh, i sold for some reason manual r8s just became a hot thing right i expected to get ninety five thousand dollars. i got one hundred seventy thousand dollars for a 2010 manual r8 it's this the gated shifter became a thing uh mm -hmm. at the same time that i wanted to sell it probably the only time in history that i actually sold a car for more than i paid for it but now i have hundred sixty thousand dollars on credit at the auction house right and mm -hmm. i can sure i can extract that money but it's a pain I'm having a couple beers. And so now I'm buying a 1968 Bronco, you know, with an LS motor in it that's restored. That I never even thought of just because I have money on account. And I'm like, why not? It's free money. No, it's not. It's real money. But in order to make it real money, like if you ask my wife, right, that's real money. You know, and she's like, it's a, so I'm like, honey, we can't afford a new TV. Are you crazy? Ah, 75, uh, five and a five and a five, 85,000, I would get in this car and with my grandmother and drive a car, 125,000 sold orange cloud. What, what happened? And I come home and she's, I thought we couldn't afford a bed you know, from restoration hardware. Well, I, yeah, but the, so anyway, to boil all that down, my thesis is there's money sitting on account that people have made that is sort of free money. And so the economics of somebody buying with Bitcoin, a thing that's $3 million, like they, they, they didn't have a 30 year career and invest and save money. It just sort of, it showed up. It feels like free money and they're like, eh. Well, or let me address that point. Because yeah. basically what you're getting at is you're getting at a few things that are very interesting. One is the value, the actual value proposition to people and how that's intersecting. And the other is this nouveau rich. There's a new class yeah. of rich. Now you tell me how long have there been rich people and how long have there been rich people collecting art? You're talking yeah. centuries here, right? Now, now you can go and classify all different types of art. Like, you know, it's everything from, you know, in the Louvre, just incredible masterpieces 
through to a banana stuck on a wall for 170 grand or whatever. I think people start doing really interesting art where they just start putting things there to make people just be shocked at the kind of potential yeah. stupidity to some people, making fun of it, okay? But the point is that the, it's always in the eye of the beholder, the value proposition of the art. And when you have people who are wealthy, well, guess what? One of the clearest ways they can show it off is through art. And they would typically do it by buying it, storing it at home, maybe putting it in their own little um, art collection. Or guess what they can do now? They can put it in a digital display. They can have it on their smartphone. They can show people that there was only one or, or, or 10 or whatever of these issued. Or how, how about if you had a piece of Beyonce's music? You know, this is going to blow people's mind because we're not talking about, you know, the um, the NBA top shots or all that car stuff you were just talking about. For me, guess what? I'm not an American. I have actually no idea about any of those things you were talking about. Like, oh, I think you were Canadian. I thought you were Canadian. No, no, no. I'm in Australia. America, technically. <laughs> My point is that all those things that were, you know, popping for you, they mean nothing yeah. to me. But guess what? Music means something to just sure. about everybody. And you'll be hard pressed to find somebody that doesn't know Beyonce or Jay-Z out of the 8 billion people. So when we start to look at the actual value proposition around these NFT collectibles, and yes, you can do cars as NFTs now, you can do those top shots, all those things, guess what? They are still a very tiny sliver of the worldwide population compared to what, what basically what band royalty is bringing to market. So Yes. And by the way, I don't appreciate you guys hacking all the phone calls that I've had over the last week and then regurgitating <laughs> the topics here on my show. But no, this is, this is what I want to bring another thesis that my partners and I have been thinking about. Have you agree with it or dispel it? So this is the way I think about it. There isn't enough money in the whole fucking world to buy all the NFTs that are percolating up. Hold on a second. There's $134 trillion in the, the, the GDP in the world, right? Uh, the GDP of the United States is something like $18, $19 trillion, uh, you know, annually. And then you, that, so it's the largest or second largest economy, say China is 20 trillion and then say Russia, you know, is eight or 9 trillion. And then you have uh, the, the uh, uh, tier of, the European economy. So you could start to see how the entire economy of the world starts to build. And it's about 130, $140 trillion GDP of the world. To buy every NFT that I've seen come up, there's just not enough money in the free moving cash flow to buy any NF, every NFT. Grimes take a dump on a donut, right? And tries to sell, sorry, I get excited. Um, Grimes developed some very unique, uh, valuable, incredibly well thought out artwork. Uh, and, and then all the NFTs that are, there's just not enough money in the ecosystem to buy all the things that aren't real. So mm -hmm. the way I think about it is that you have these sort of walled gardens, eighties comic books. Okay. Uh, you know, Jordan and prior era baseball cards. Uh, you know, 70s music portfolios, yes, and the doors and, uh, you know, these kinds of things. But is it true that we're going to see that this is my crystal balling? We're going to see sort of the real value in these walled gardens. The reason the NBA, and I'll let you guys talk, I see you're, you're um, looking to, to explain and correct, but the reason the <laughs> NBA top shots are so valuable is because they, you cannot outside of their walled garden and ecosystem create more LeBron James dunks, right? 
And so they, it is a finite, to Noble's point, supply with a large demand. But when you move outside of NBA and comic books and baseball cards and the yes uh, um, discography, right, then, and you just start producing NFTs of anything, uh, th those ones are going to have to, there's just not enough money to buy anything, anytime. Like Orn Clap drives to work, NFT. Orn Clap spills his coffee, NFT. Uh, Orn Clap has a podcast, NFT. There's not enough, we're going to run out of money in the world to buy every moment of everything. So we've got to have these walled gardens in which there's limited supply, high recognition, and large demand in order to continue an NFT market. Is that in any way uh, correct? I mean, you, my, my thesis is, is twofold, right? It absolutely is 100% correct that you have to pick where you're going to play, what sandboxes you're going to be involved in, because you just can't afford to be everywhere and to know everything. There will be outliers. There are going to be great artists uh, that people buy and know. I'm just not interested into art. I, I just not. And so I'm not going to be tracking down all the quote unquote art NFTs that swap amongst each other. And my my concern it has been from the beginning is that people are going to find themselves stuck with nfts they're going to find themselves with nfts that don't have the greater full theory involved and right. unless you're in a wall garden or you have a specific thing that you're doing i love the way atomic asset does it atomic asset says you buy these packs for 20 bucks and you might get lucky but you're literally doing it for collections so garbage bill kids tops is over there you have uh, uh leonard nimoy you have william shatner great but when you have these random NFTs, I don't really know where, where they're going to go as far as a long-term value unless someone creates value out of them. And so that's why number ones become important. That's why popular singers become important. That's why, you know, you start finding that the value is in the additional scarcity provided by the, the item itself. I guess the, the second issue I have is there's 21 million Bitcoin that are going to show up and they are divisible ad infinitum. People are looking for a storehouse of value. You know, one of 200 NBA top shots, one of 3,000 bands, one of, whatever it is, they're looking for a storehouse of value because they want to have the one of a few because everyone's going to be using Satoshis at some point. And that's an ad infinitum proposition. Awesome. So, on so that point, I just want to jump in there. Yeah, oh, yeah. This is a really other key point here. And that is no offense to you, but when you were saying, you know, the Auron, you know, coffee um, splash and all this, you know, basically taking NFT of every single moment, the actual, the key of the value around the NFT is the issuance. Because, you know, if you, sure, you were talking about that, the NBA top shot, you know, that, that video clip that is playing right now up on YouTube for free. Yeah. Well, guess what? Right. I can go make an NFT of that right now. So do you want to buy that off me for 20 grand? Me, my little video clip of the NBA top shot, I can just spin up today as an NFT. Right. No. Compared to right. the one that's issued by the NBA. You see? So, like now so you tell me like- deeper, Go to a deeper level. Why, why do I care about the issuer? Because here's the thing. Like imagine this scenario. Okay, take the most, the most prestigious piece of art in the world, the Mona Lisa, right? Now it's in the Louvre. We all know where it is. It's all in the Louvre. And it's in the loop. And so what if the Louvre today issued 10, only 10 ever, it makes a press release, 10 issuances of an NFT of the Mona Lisa forever. We're never doing any more. How much are they going to be each compared to you? You go and take your little, you know, Google grab of the photo of Mona Lisa, stick it up on your, you know, NFT wall and sell that. See, do you see what I mean? The point is, is trust is people don't trust me 
It's not to do with no, that. I'm no offense, but you, you just can't compete with the Louvre. You it's, don't it's have an authority. It's no, an authority. Hold, on, hold on a second. You're saying can't compete with the Louvre. That, these aren't financial terms, right? So <laughs> uh, I understand. I, I'm trying to you, break you know it down. Intrinsic value. You know yeah. intrinsic value. These are the intrinsic value talks. But how, how does the Louvre, and I understand that it does, but break, how does the Louvre create intrinsic value in the NFT? No, no, let me just, just jump in quickly. Okay. Yes. You know, you can go and get a print done, a perfect print, or even another masterpiece version copy of the Mona Lisa and yeah. get your own little um, art gallery set up in your town. You tell me, are you getting a queue around the block to come and see your version of the Mona Lisa? No, but why? So there's, there's two, there's two parts to that. And we know. Number one, the Louvre owns the original. We all know the Louvre owns the original. And officially, they're the only ones who can copyright. And there's a big conversation that starts coming in with the copyright issues. And that's a conversation that we haven't been hit with yet. You know, as a publisher, game designer, developer for the last four years, copyright is everything. And so if Oren or myself or Barnaby decides to create our version of the Mona Lisa, we will get the cease and desist letter immediately from the Louvre. And then they'll go out and make their own can, versions to sell. Can we call it chain of title is a critical component of issuance of an NFT. Is that fair? That's for sure. Yeah. Like, but the thing is, it's really but the whole point around the NFT is the value chain from the minting. There's the item itself. So let's say, let's say just take the most basic item, a red t-shirt. Okay. You take a photograph of your red t-shirt and turn it into an NFT. I guarantee no one cares. But Jay-Z, he takes a photo of himself wearing his red T-shirt and puts it up directly from his verifiable Jay-Z account. Who wants to buy that? You see? I do. Uh, I, I do. And, and it's easy to see in those examples. What I'm trying to make it is for Joe Bag of Donuts, UPS driver, you know, uh, as you can see, the quality of my audience. Uh, <laughs> I have no problem insulting my audience. No, I like donuts. You, you, I'm not insulted. <laughs> so so uh, I, I'm just trying to break it down into constructs that somebody who doesn't have Jay-Z sweatshirt or, or you know, the discography of someone can 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 understand it. But We, get, we go simple. Or in his house. Yeah. His house is this we're talking about. NFTs are going to be ruling everybody's lives because right now we're talking on these uh, esoteric levels but can you imagine chain a title for your car instead of waiting for the dmv to send you your pink slip immediately they issue an nft from their wallet to your wallet and the moment you sell it instead of filling out that stupid little white form which i've done a million times uh flipping cars and selling cars over the years but you don't have to fill out any white form i just go ahead and send you <laughs> the NFT of, of the title, and we call it a day. My liability is gone. The insurance company knows, and we're all done with this. And so, yeah, it, it, that that's where it's it NFTs have to go. You know, when you, you I don't know how many homes you've bought. I I've, I'm, I'm a big real estate investor for years. There's no reason why the mortgage company has to call me eight times for the three pieces of information that I gave the last four guys about uh, either the, the property, my, my financials or whatever, because they can't find the piece of paper. When you can take that same thick stack of 100 pieces of paper and turn it into one NFT that says, yeah, everything's already good. And then they can pass that along to the mortgage broker, they can pass it to the title insurance, and they can pass that back down to the owner uh, of the new, of, uh, after they write, write you the check. Now, now you, that's where the chain of title and the chain of custody, that's the power of NFTs.
So we'll just jump on from what Nova was yeah. saying, just a quick little, yeah. basically what we're seeing here is that chain of custody, the tokenization of the value chain. This is the gap that you're talking about. This is the, you're trying to bridge the gap between the listener who's like trying to wrap their head around everything we're talking about, but really they haven't potentially made the jump into the world of tokenization. You see, it's a huge, like how many people do you know that even own any crypto? I hazard a guess almost nobody, even though it's become a $2 trillion industry in the last few months. Like it was only six months ago, it was about half a trillion and it's quadrupled in that time. And that is still nothing because what you were saying before about the you know, quadrillions of value in the whole world, eventually they will try to get into the world of digital assets, but it takes a leap in understanding. And what does that really boil down to is trust because money and value at its, at its rock bottom is about trust. And right now, most people don't trust because they don't understand the tokenization, the digital asset area, because it's so new. They're hearing about it, these buzzwords, but it takes really a leap in faith and trust to believe that you could actually have title over a digital asset when they're used to just ripping their CD and copying it. That's the, that's the break, the breakthrough that needs to happen. So I think what we have to do is, first of all, uh, we have to, because Barnaby has such clear and precise and uh, well-constructed views on this, I think we have to learn a little bit about his background. And if you tell me, you know, I was the manager of Starbucks 238 in London, uh, and I, but I started here two months ago, then I'm gonna, so. Uh, <laughs> tell us how you got to having such a clear perspective and understanding uh, of the architecture and the functioning of non-fungible tokens? Well, it didn't happen overnight. This is like a, a massive step-by-step um, -step stacking of tech and, and financial understanding over the last three decades. Like I, I, I entered the, the IT field in 93, became an entrepreneur from 95, building out e-commerce systems for the, more than 25 years. But what was that really about? My obsession, it's an obsession with finance and digitizing it because when what I could see in the early 90s was the potential for having a laptop that you could trade with and sell goods with all over the world. Who else could see that? Not many people I knew. I was hanging out in Australia back in those days. So when I was first trying to explain to people what the future was gonna be, <laughs> telling them that it was gonna be a way to sell items all over the world, that you could start to basically have your own freedom based around a new form of economics back in the 90s, can you see that like, so I've been basically um, trading digital assets, actual digital assets since the late 90s. But you know, even then it took me layer upon layer. Like I didn't get Bitcoin when it first came out. I'm also a slow learner at this stuff. I was frustrated by NFTs when I first came across them in 2017, clogging up the Ethereum network. I didn't get it. It has taken so long for me to really grasp and wrap my head around all of these technological breakthroughs that are leading to this moment, the only time in history where guess what? You and I can actually issue currency. Now, think about that for a minute. You can actually issue tokenized assets that can become tradable currencies. Now, we don't wanna to even talk too much about that because that is too much really to think about, but that is what lit a fire under me. When I've really got that, and it took somebody grabbing me by the scruff of my neck and thrusting my face into that space, saying, Barnaby, stop everything else you're doing. 
and focus on this. While I was already across Bitcoin and tech and blockchain, I was just thinking of a, you know, an interesting technology. What they explained to me was that this was the future of finance because wherever the internet goes, it reinvents the entire area. So just, just quickly wrapping that up, the internet's first item that it has in its crosshairs was communication. Just think about that. Back in the 90s, the internet basically, it, it saw communication and it went for it in all forms of communication. I'm talking about letters, flyers, videos, TV, movies, it, media, all forms of media. The internet went there, deconstructed it, reinvented it and rebuilt all of that whole field. Well, guess what? The second one, the second in the list is finance. Just think about that. So that's what first communication, now finance. And the finance is even more precious because these are the two hallmarks of all of humans' interactions, communication and financial transactions. Well, because I would probably put gaming, I would probably slide gaming and, okay. and a couple other exactly. industries in there. Gaming, gaming is key. Sure, sure. But, but I, I agree with you. And by the way, Brock Pierce, who is now in control of, you know, maybe $2 billion of Bitcoin sat in that studio right back there about 15 feet away four years ago. And he said, Warren, I'm buying plastics. No, I'm buying as many Bitcoin as I possibly can. You need to do that. And I said, Brock, your head is full of dead insects. What are you talking about? Meanwhile, and then he went on. Uh, and, and, and so I've seen, you know, guys at the center of this, like Barnaby, have the long view and really just do amazingly well with it. So I want to catch up. Let's talk about the company. Why did you guys then fall on music? Because you're passionate about it, because it hadn't been done and it was an open space and opportunity. Tell us about the model in music and, and of all as you looked across the landscape of things that could be NFTized. Right. Or things that could be, you know, digital assets. You looked over art. You looked over uh, um, popular culture. You looked over trading cards. You looked over comic books. You looked over real estate and you landed on, of all things, music. Talk me through that. So, you know, Barbie and I have done two successful NFTs last year. And they're one involved gaming, uh, which is a, you know, awesome little unicorn game I built around my daughter. Barnaby and I created a whole entire great game, uh, which is a board game, which is open source. We were giving it away for free for about two and a half years, and we turned that into an NFT, and that blew up. King of quotes. I mean, that, that, we, were, we were super excited. But I've been collecting music royalties, just like you know, you, you've been doing cars for years. I've been collecting music royalties for years. And it always comes down to either someone on the, the one collecting the royalties, whether it's the writers or the producers, can't wait three months before their royalty check shows up. They can't wait an extra six months or they want to live a lifestyle that doesn't match the income flow of the royalty stream right now. So, you know, I talk hey, to I don't, I don't appreciate you um, uh, describing my life in these accurate terms. <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. I, you know, I, you know, I had to do what I had to do. And so I, I said, I told uh, Barnaby, I said, you know, what we need to do, since we had two successful NFT launches, is we need to create an NFT that does two things. Number one, it teaches people exactly how musicians make money. Nobody knows. Nobody has a clue. They go to the concert, they love them, they appreciate them, and then they see in the news that they're broke and, and they can't figure out why. Dave Mustaine, 
Dave Mustaine, who's one of my favorite singers of all time, would go out on tour, make a million dollars on tour, and come home broke. Love that guy. Yep. Dave Mustaine. Yep. And, nobody, and nobody knows why. No, nobody can figure it out. And the second part was uh, to also get fans connected with the artist directly. Right now, the system, yeah. we, we, we have labels involved. We've got Sony, Warner Music. We've got all these great people who, at the end of the day, they give advances. They they take people's royalties for small checks, and it doesn't matter to them because they're a major conglomerate. And then they trade those royalties like we trade baseball cards, $200 million, half a billion dollars at a time amongst each other. And I said, you know, there's a way to disrupt this space, decentralize it, and make it fun. So, you know, we created a series of NFTs. It was 3,000 of them. They've got beautiful artwork. And we started for the first time. I think this is the first time Barney's collected music royalties. We went out and bought our own catalog for the company of performance rights. And you should have saw Barnaby's eyes light up. He says, what? We can get Rihanna? We can get Demi Lovato's song? And I said, yeah, they're, they're the ones performing these songs. Jay-Z, Beyonce. I said, they're artists. But they're not the only artists on these songs. Producers made it. Writers made it. There's so many different royalty streams, about six to eight of them, that we can go ahead and acquire this music for eight years, ten years, life of rights at any given time. And that's how Band Royalty started. And hopefully we'll change things. You know, the goal is to really get people talking and the artists talking and changing how, you know, fans interact with their favorite artists. So pitch, uh, and normally I don't like this to happen, but for you guys, I love you guys. And and this is a, by the way, um, I don't know if you have your phones, your computer near you, but can you just cancel everything for the rest of the day? Because we're not going to let go of you. Uh, so, but normally I don't like to do this. I like this to be informational, but I, I love you guys and I love what you're doing. Pitch us the company, like hardcore advertising. So, so I'll tell you this, of the two of us, hopefully hopefully you've seen this conversation, of the two of us, the pitcher is going to be Barnaby. But I will tell you this, without the pitching, without because I don't think we need to hardcore this. It is such a simple, yeah. elegant idea. There are at least four major royalty streams. There's publishing royalties. There's mechanical royalties. There's what's called sync rights. What, you know, you're probably going to play some music in your in uh, and, and the podcast, that's sync rights. You had to buy it or had to get it from a subscription service. And then there's what's called performance royalties. And we just created three separate pools. We're self, and nobody's done this, right? Because we were thinking ahead. I've got a background in finance. My goal was we don't want to create an NFT that doesn't have value later on. We want an NFT that at the very least, you can come back to us and have a, what's called a, 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 or a, a financial opportunity that you can actually, through decentralized financing, put your NFT in one of these stakes and just share in the royalties that we go out and acquire. You don't own anything, but you get a chance to share in the revenue. That's it. And you oh, get a chance I'm to- I'm sorry for calling it. it, I'm so sorry for calling it complex. I, that was my mistake. Now that you've simplified <laughs> it uh, to, you know- Let me, let me take it. Crayons and just, can, just indulge me, pardon me for 60 seconds. Um, I lived on Sunset Boulevard for like 10 years, mm -hmm. walking distance then to like the Emerald Room and, the, you know, all the, the, uh, the whiskey go-go and everything. And so a friend of mine Dublin's. said, I used to go love Dublin's. Yes. 
So, so I'd walk down there, don't have to drive, uh, basically every night, you know, cause I lived on sunset Boulevard. And so a friend of mine said, Hey, uh, I've got two tickets to the world air guard, air guitar championships, two tickets to the world air guitar championships. Right. Do you want to join me? And I go, yeah, of course. It's like, okay, it's eight 30. Right. And so at eight 29, I leave my house. I walk down there. I get there at 8.32 to go into the World Air Guitar Championships, what I'm pretty sure is going to be, you know, five old dudes with bandanas. The fucking line, three <laughs> miles down Sunset Boulevard, and I don't get in there till 11.15, and I have a job. But because my mind was blown that this is a thing, that, like, people have traveled from all over the world. Not only that, but this is a – some people have a job. Like, some people in Sweden have a job playing air guitar. And so th – <laughs> this is what I feel like I'm hearing <laughs> again for me for the first time is, is this is a, uh, um, you know, you're taking things that don't exist, but they do exist, but they don't, but they do. I think that's how Barnaby explained no. it to me. No, no, sorry. I, no, but, but, no, I'm, okay. It's All not right. happening. Take the crayons. Take out the crayons for us. Okay. I'll yeah. just, Noble did a fantastic job in explaining it, but somehow it got lost on you. So let me just break it down. <laughs> somehow. I don't know how. I so, mean, so uh, basically, I've, it's I've been in mechanical engineering and I've worked in technology okay. and finance. So, so for... when you're talking about an air guitar, right? When you're talking about, you know, something that doesn't really exist. Okay. So that is one of the issues that we're dealing here with yeah. band royalty is guess what? A musician can play their track you know, 40 million times and get basically air guitar play back for that. So you tell me, is this really something that is just of no value? When you think about all the things in the world that are of value to people, is it possible that music is right at the top of that list? So we're not talking about something that's airy-fairy or outside of anybody's understanding. And so when you think about the value of music to everybody around the world, should the musicians be fairly compensated for that? And have they had the rug pull uh, out from underneath them over the last two decades of technical innovation? You know, it was okay with the records back in the 60s and the cassettes in the 80s and the CDs in the 90s, but when iTunes, okay, it's, it was getting a bit weird, but it was okay. But then with streaming, man, it ain't fair when you can have a track played 40 million times and you get two grand for it. So Pharrell yeah, Williams, man, that's that, horrible. That is not. So right, we need to basically what band royalty, thanks to this yeah. innovation that we've come up with, that thanks to Noble's two decades of investing in this space and explaining it to me and us deconstructing it and figuring out how to blockchainify it and defy it and all these acronyms you want to throw into it and then adding into it the sexiness of NFTs so that the musician can start to have a new kind of relationship with their fans so that when a fan is listening, when Beyonce's music's playing and they're, they're one of the few people that have got the NFT, they're not only enjoying the track, but they're earning every time it's played. Now, so when you add into all those components, now we are only issuing 3,000 NFTs in this first batch and 12,000 altogether. So when we say we're going to democratize and bring music royalties to the masses, mm, I get it. Only 12,000 doesn't sound like it, but we're having a fast follow. We are actually launching a tokenized fungible asset along with that because we do our intention here is to create a very new kind of music platform that is actually much more like the matrix this is how nobles explained it to me the matrix of the music business so that's what we're doing we're actually going all the way down this isn't some like you know new music playing platform like spotify or or whatever no no this is actually down to the very foundation so that wherever the music is played 
on whatever platform, iTunes, Spotify, you know, in, in at the cinema, wherever it's being played, even on the, the radio, the radio, you're getting the revenue stream coming back to you because you're part of the band royalty ecosystem. So this is um, this is blowing my mind. I went to band royalty, uh, and I just want to give people listening a point of entry to band royalty from my perspective. So one is the artwork that you guys are producing for the NFTs is amazing. It's beautiful. And so thank you. If you're taking, if you're just, if you're listening to the sound of my voice and this, you just need a point of entry, entry to this, go to Band Royalty and look at the artwork and start to become subsumed in this space from the, the ethic uh, and, and the, how much sort of creative energy you guys have invested into creating those assets to me are in and of themselves investable. It's gorgeous. So secondly, then what should somebody who's listening to us now do as a second step to support band royalty? I think, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Just appreciate what it is right now. It is an NFT. It is art and it is scarce. You know, we just sold over $200,000 worth of NFTs in this band series. We out of three NFTs, we sold $200,000, three NFTs. The press release is going out later today. It, it, they're, they're gone. And it's not because people don't like the art. The art is great. People love the art. They love the value proposition, but we also built in scarcity. And so that every tier has only a limited number of that type. At the end of the day, read the website, learn about the music royalties, understand what we're doing and join our telegram groups and in discord and whatever, just to interact and ask questions because we've stepped behind the scenes when it comes to music. We don't care if it's country music. We don't care if it's uh, classical. We don't care if it's clogging. If it produces a stream of income that falls among the eight different royalty streams and we have the opportunity to acquire it, we're going to acquire it. And that's what makes us so much different from all these other platforms that are very fixated on genres and for, for producing music. We, we're, we're, we don't care. We, we, we love for people. If you've got a heavy metal band that you know that wants to present music to us and they've got royalties that they've been sitting on that, have, that are stagnant or they can't, we're happy to talk to them and we'll buy or advance or whatever we need to do to get them into the catalog. And as long as they fit one of those streams of income, the regular fans can share. And that's never been done before. It's like, it's, it's every, amazing. And well, people have thought that Michael Vick could find the Beatles, right? And that's that was a big hullabaloo, and, they, yeah. and no one really understood what that meant. Right. And Sony owning the Beatles, and how the Beatles got back to Paul McCartney, the catalog, all of that stuff, we're bringing it down to everyday people's levels because that's residual income. Everybody wants the ability to get income without having to work for it. And music and movie rights and all this stuff—they're spitting off all the residual income. And that's it, how we have. I just, saw, I, I just saw a meme. I'll send it to you. Uh, I, I have your phone number now, so you can't reject it. It's just a text. <laughs> but it's, it's a meme of uh, it's a book and it says how to make money. And the guy opens it and it says work. <laughs> you know? It's the only word in the whole book. And he goes, oh, but, wow. Um, so, wait, so, oh, and just quickly there, yeah. what Noble was saying. So essentially one of the, the core 
um, drivers here is that we're having we're selling this very limited supply, as Noble was saying, of only three thousand NFTs in this series and expanding it out to twelve thousand NFTs. Just that's all there's going to be, and we're going to expand with that the music catalog. So what's incredible is a limited supply of the NFTs with a rapidly growing and expanding asset base that has been proven to demonstrate a royalty income stream in this industry for more than 50 years. This is a very established business that we are actually moving, taking from the 20th century and plugging it directly into blockchain with a limited supply while training everybody because me and Noble feel so passionate about education, showing people how things work. And then not only that, not only education, but giving them the, the direct access to the value, to the income stream, which was previously unavailable only for the elite, only for people behind closed doors. We're bringing it to everybody. And when you ask what the next step was, where it's simple, you know, you go to bandroyalty.com, you enter in your email address and you go over to OpenSea today where the NFTs are for sale and you search for band royalty. And then you can actually start to access the first ever royalty music catalog that's been put there for everyone. Amazing. I want to say, and, and by the way, if we layer the multiverse on top of this and, but we can't do that right now, <laughs> but I do want to say this. If I find out in any way that Barnaby is also the artist doing the drawings, I'm just going to kill myself. Like I can't have people be smart and talented and capable and wealthy and having fun and everything. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's very demeaning. So please keep that a secret. <laughs> Jesus. I'll tell you this, Barbie and I had to curate this with a team of about eight different artists, but every single piece of art has had our touch on it. We've told them what yeah, to do, what the it. colors are, the image. So so yeah, we, on that point, like while I was actually a celebrated young artist of Australia who actually represented Australia with the UN <laughs> in 1979, while I am that level of a talented artist, we don't have my artwork yet coming out. So just right. you wait. Jesus, these guys are killing me. Uh, this is amazing. We're going to do this again, but this is enough to digest at the moment. You guys are super fun. I have lots of other questions for the time we have today. This has been amazing. I'm going to ban royalty. I have been there already. But if you can hear the sound of my voice. Go, go, go. Ban, ban, ban. Royalty, royalty, royalty. This is something you have to do. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Hey, today. Thanks, Ori, for having us, man. It's, it's great. You, it's a pleasure. I've been tracking you for years, so it's, it's fun being here. Really great. Hey, thanks for listening, and be sure to stay tuned for more great content from Oren Claff.